Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. We are here for you. Welcome and so glad that you could join us for this episode of Cradle My Heart Radio, where we are finding God's love after abortion, trying to create a safe place for that to happen. Also, with the ultimate goal of preventing abortion and healing the hurt. And our guest today is one of the leading voices on this challenge, not only here in the United States, but now worldwide. And we're really pleased to welcome to the program John Enzer, who is a pastor. He's a, an evangelist. He's a trainer. He's um, a ministry leader, uh, a, a worldwide figure on preventing abortion and healing the hurt. John, welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank you for having me today. Talk to me about, um, I don't know where to want to really start. I, I know that one of the things that I want to really focus on today is your four questions method for training pastors to create the culture of life and heal abortion hurt in their in their midst. And um, mm-hmm. maybe we'll, let's just start there. Let's set the table with the basic training that you would offer pastors, because one of our objectives here is to equip and encourage pastors to create the culture of life in their churches here in the U.S. And um, so let's let's talk about the four questions training that you do for pastors and the, that you offer and have found to be effective everywhere in the world where you've brought it. Yeah, around the world, like here in the States, most pastors have been rather silent on the topic, in large part because they're not sure how to talk about it, and it's part of the broader uh, bioethics challenges that many people in the world face today, and coupled with the fact that it's a part of so many people's personal experiences, they're hesitant to uh, talk about it in a way that's going to inflame or pull a scab off of people or hurt people unintentionally. So there's just a lot of reasons that pastors worldwide have been reluctant to sound a clear trumpet um, and to provide and equip people to think biblically about what is abortion, what is a biblical response to it. So around the world, we find that people, pastors in particular, they find their confidence and they find their voice uh, to lead well on this issue. If they can reduce all of the questions down to basically four questions, 
and began to teach their people the biblical answer to four basic questions. And having taken this approach now to China and Kazakhstan and Nigeria and India and Cuba and Guatemala and Colombia, all over the world, uh, we find that pastors really appreciate the fact that they can tackle this issue uh, in a way that feels comfortable for them, which is to invite their people to open up their Bibles and bring four questions to the Bible. And their role as a pastor that is to teach the biblical answers to these four questions. Mm. That's my tea up. Okay, so John Enzer is our guest, and he started his his path as a local pastor of, you you joke about the mega church in Boston. What was your membership, John, average in Boston? Yeah, uh, 75 on <laughs> Easter. <laughs> so John has, has served in that role of pastoring a local flock. Yeah. Uh, he's also, though, got 30 years of experience under his belt teaching bioethics, leading crisis pregnancy centers, and implementing the crisis intervention model uh, in pregnancy help organizations. And so it, your authority to speak to pastors on this issue is unchallenged. And, John, I, one of the things that I, I'm so struck by, even in your tee-up here, is that you're telling me that it's not just pastors in the U.S. who are reticent, reluctant, and as a result, silent. You're telling me that this is a worldwide phenomenon, which m- means it must be spiritual. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's the uh, United States only represents three percent of abortions worldwide on an annual basis. So 97 percent of the moral crisis of abortion is a world missions challenge. So for the last, oh, first 15 to 20 years of my life, I, uh, in terms of pro-life work, I focused on the United States. But for the last uh, nine to 10 years now, I have tried to focus on uh, places like China, for example. And then in China, we work mainly with um, networks of churches, house churches there. And these are people who are brave pastors. They're, they've suffered for their faith. But even in, in a place like China, they were largely silent. And uh, their explanation was that they had spent a long time trying to show the communist government, that they weren't out to overthrow the Communist Party. They just wanted to pastor a church and lead people to Christ and help them grow and develop. And and since the law of China was uh, one-child policy and the rest of them had to be aborted, they wanted to be submissive to the government. So they just never spoke about it until they began to ask these four questions. And then, like a fire... Uh, these four questions have spread to close to uh, three to four million people uh, throughout these church networks in China. And there's a great zeal by these pastors to be biblically faithful and to speak up where the Bible speaks up. And again, it was the four questions that kind of gave them their footing. Mm. Well, and it's amazing to me that as you say this, I think, and I know it to be true, that fear of the government drives silence in the pulpits in the U.S. too, even though we're not in communist China. I mean, that's also, it seems to be kind of a a common, if not a universal, fear that a pastor may experience. 
Yeah, the, for many, many decades now, people like myself and others have tried to ask the question, why are, why are pastors reluctant to uh, speak on this issue? And I was among the silent. So, I mean, I got my own testimony. I was pastoring in Boston and and came to find out that there were people in my own church while I was pastor who were having abortions. And going so far as to even say, you know, I prayed, Lord, if what I'm doing is wrong, send someone to stop me. And, of course, that was a devastating testimony for me to hear as a pastor, because that's my job, that's my calling, was to to help people know the will of God, embrace it, and to follow it at, at uh, whatever the cost. And so I, like many other people in my church, had to come to terms with what does the Bible say, and how are we to lead well today as pastors to help our people process and respond correctly to the greatest moral challenge of our times, which I think abortion is because it involves the shedding of innocent blood, and the shedding of innocent blood in the Bible is always a preeminent moral crisis, not a chronic one. Mm. Mm. All right, well, without further ado, let's roll out these four questions, because you're talking about overcoming huge obstacles. You're talking about, you know, equipping men of God to do their job in a way that it's almost like rocket fuel for their effectiveness. And uh, I think these questions are so compelling and also so elegant in their simplicity. So share those with us. Yeah, we think that any pastor will do very well in his leadership if he simply brings these four questions to his people and helps them answer it. And in turn, their people will figure out how to live out a pro-life, gospel-of-life witness in our culture if they're confident about the answer to these four questions. So the first question is this. What does the Bible say about human life, including life in the womb? This question allows you to lay the firm foundation, not just for pro-life work, but the foundation for everything in the Bible, including the gospel itself, which is that we are made in the image of God. And while no one knows for sure what that means philosophically, we all know, even a five-year-old would know, that it means that we're valuable and that we're um, exceptionally valuable. Uh, We're more valuable than the birds. We're more valuable than many sparrows. Uh, we, We have equal value being made equally in the image of God. We have an in, inherent, uh, intrinsic value um, being made in the image of God. You don't have to qualify to be valuable in the biblical worldview other than to have human DNA. You can be blind and still valuable. You can be deaf and still valuable. You can be in a coma. Uh, you can be mentally disabled. But the world, the radical worldview uh, that Christianity brings is that if you are human, you are valuable. So that's the foundation point. And we go from there about asking what does uh, the Bible say about the shedding of innocent blood, including abortion. The Bible doesn't use the word abortion, but it does refer to the shedding of innocent blood. 
and the shedding of innocent blood is simply the biblical language for the intentional killing of innocent human beings. And so this second question allows us to acknowledge that if human life is the most valuable thing that God has created uh, in creation, then it makes sense that he would protect it, and that violating uh, uh, that human dignity uh, through the intent of killing of people is a great violation, a great moral uh, crisis. So it allows us to look at child sacrifice and other things in the Bible, as well as to get the biblical meaning of abortion. The third question is, how do you bring the grace of the gospel to the guilt of abortion so that people are uh, forgiven and set free? In our work, you know, we don't have enemies. We just have future uh, brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. who might currently be our opponents. But our goal in the gospel is always to bring transformation to people. And so uh, the pro-life movement grows by bringing the hope of the gospel the healing power of the gospel, the redemptive work of the gospel to everyone that we're talking to. Uh, And a lot of people come to Christ all over the world when they see the truth of abortion. And for the first time, uh, in an open way, they start to hunger for mercy and forgiveness and the experience and the confidence of knowing that you can be forgiven and be free to talk about it, to be a witness and a testimony. You know, so that's John, the third question. John, I'm just going to briefly interrupt because you and I went on mission yeah. to Russia to do a pregnancy help conference, pregnancy help organization conference 10 years ago now. And I remember in, pre- uh, in prepping for that trip, we learned that when a woman is in her doctor's office and gets a positive pregnancy test, the, do- the next question is, are we having a baby or are we having an abortion? Because 50% of pregnancies are aborted. And I know mm-hmm. that the numbers are equally high in places like Cuba, China, wh- you know, where you and your mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. are making such great inroads. And I-, I wonder, is that the reason why you have captured this vision of the need to address those who have already had that experience of abortion with the message of hope? Yeah, both home and abroad. Uh, There's not a family in the world today that has not been touched by abortion. They may not know it, but they have been. Uh, In our country, we've had 60 million abortions over the last, what, 50 years. And in many parts of the world, the abortion rates are much higher. So it is is a part of of our human experience today. We live in a post-aborted culture. And... We are the people who bring good news of great joy to the to the guilt-plagued conscience. And most people in the world today are not plagued in their conscience. They justify all of their choices and their behaviors. But sexual sins and abortion tend to be very much on the surface. And so when you talk about these things and expose abortion for what it is, you overwhelmingly create a desire and a thirst for the gospel itself. So that's my experience around the world, um, is that abortion is not off point to the gospel. It's the entry point for the gospel. 
And, and I guess uh, the reason I ask this, John, is because, you know, these four questions are a compact, right? They all they all interact with one another. Each question is really essential. But as I have tried to engage pastors on a local level about, you know, including a message that God forgives abortion as you proclaim a pro-life message— it seems to be that very few of them can resolve the tension between those two messages. Don't have an abortion, and God forgives an abortion. So if you can talk with me about the the synergy between the shedding of innocent blood and the forgiveness of it as you present the four questions. I mean, is it something that pastors have to you know address in, in separate outreach or how do you how do you resolve that tension how does a pastor resolve that tension is in his messaging well that's a tension between the law and the gospel mm. and it never really goes away mm. it doesn't really go away it it just needs to be understood as a point of tension in our church we try to uphold this is the moral standard just like premarital sex or uh, fidelity in marriage. These are the. This is God's moral will for our life, and abortion is against God's moral will for our life. But like every other sin, um, it isn't unforgivable unless it's unrepented of, and uh, and that's why we call the gospel good news. So there is a natural tension, and if you declare an easy grace. You basically create permission for people. I've even had people call me and say, please pray for me that God will forgive me for what I'm about to do later this afternoon. In other words, they're relying on the grace of God to commit evil. So in that sense, I have to stop and slow them down and, 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 and caution them against relying on the grace of God as a permission slip to do evil. You can't trust God to help you feed your baby. It's going to be a lot harder to trust God that he's going to be able to forgive you for killing your baby. Mm. So it's a form of spiritual deception Mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. But there's just a natural tension there, and that is the law and the gospel itself, that uh, I think particularly pastors do well to sort out. And going through these four questions will help them do that. All right, now I'll let Before you... Before we run out of time, let me mention the last question. Yes, lo- okay. let's get the to question four. Question. Number four, how do we bring the... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, number four is, what has God called us to do to prevent the shedding of innocent blood? And related to that, what examples do we have, going all the way back to the midwives of Egypt and how they rescued the innocent baby boys from being intentionally murdered, all the way up to the Good Samaritan story, all the way up to church history, and and how the early church stood for the defense of of babies and rescued them in the early days, all the way up uh, through promotion of adoption and orphanages and today's modern pregnancy help center. So there's lots of inspiring history in the church to give us examples what God's calls to do to stop the shedding of innocent blood. So these four questions work together in the fact that they allow pastors to be basically preachers of the Word, which is their job, but give direction and uh, renewal, and, and they inspire good works of intervention by the time people begin to live them all out. 
there are so many wonderful um, results, especially in China. I, I remember you shared a story with us, John, about how um, pregnancy centers were being opened with government consent. Have I got that right? I mean, there were, there were amazing results and fruit of pastors embracing and deploying the four questions. Maybe you just share some of those stories with us. Yeah. In China, you know, well, let me back up. In most places around the world, when I answer question four, I point to the Good Samaritan story as our paradigm for ministry. You know, go out there, roll up your sleeve, draw near to the crisis, help one woman uh, and baby at a time, that kind of thing. But in China, (laughs) the story that they related to most were the midwives in Egypt, because abortion was being forced on the people in China Mm. the way infanticide was being forced on the midwives in Egypt. It was a legally declared law by the government forced upon them, and they feared God, it said, and let their babies live. In China, I I found that many, many people in the church, that's the story that that they related to. We're going to be like the midwives in Egypt. And they began to rescue babies that night, that week, that, that month, and eventually what happened is that um, uh, hospitals in China uh, started to set up pregnancy counseling offices inside the hospitals to provide women uh, an option. And these are hospitals that perform abortions. They just finally realized uh, that they had a group of people willing to go in there and help these moms. And so in China, you have some of these amazing stories of hospitals, communist-run hospitals, operating pregnancy help offices. Only God can do something like that. That is really amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when you talk about, I know um, on a future episode, we're going to get into the material from your book, Answering the Call, Saving Innocent Lives One Woman at a Time. When you talk about the moms, you know, I think that this is such a, there's a gap in the pro-life movement, uh, maybe not so much in the pregnancy help movement, but in the pro-life movement, there's a gap, you know, between I want to save that baby and I am angry that this mother's even considering abortion. And as you said, suddenly mom is an enemy. Well, how are you ever going to save her baby without <laughs> without winning her heart, you know? So let's let's talk just a little bit about that as it applies you know, universally around the world is what you've seen, how women respond to the outreach. Uh, do you mean women who are in crisis and how they respond? Yes, or yes. Women who, okay. You know, every woman in crisis, I don't care what the crisis is, whether it's war, whether it is an earthquake, all people in in crisis are, by definition, in a crisis of faith. They're all yelling out to God for help and aid and assistance. And so I find it's universal, whether it's in Atlanta, here where I live, or whether it's in Xining, China, or Havana, Cuba, uh, women who are in a pregnancy-related crisis um, are open and receptive to intervention. And when you train up an army of good Samaritans who say, I see that you're in trouble, let me help you, there's just an overwhelmingly positive response from people in Cuba, 
China, Nigeria, all over the world, it's the, it's the same human experience that many pregnancy help centers in our country testify to every day. Because people in crisis are in a crisis of faith, and they see you as a good Samaritan as God's answer to their plea. Whether they know God or not, people still cry out to him. Uh, in a time of crisis, and I see that's universally true. Mm. Well, I just realized I'm very remiss in not mentioning your title (laughs) in this conversation. Our guest is John Enzer, who's the president of Passion Life. And John, let me give you a chance just to uh, cast that vision for Passion Life and let people know in about a two-minute framework how they can get in touch with you and support the work that you're doing at Passion Life. Yeah, anyone can, first of all, anyone who's interested in answering these four questions uh, can download them on our website, passionlife.org, uh, or in Spanish, uh, pasionvida.org. It basically takes the content of four of my books, which were probably around 125 pages each, and reduces everything to 10 pages. So these four questions are designed to simplify the complex and then to do it in 10 pages so that you can download it, you can make copies of it, you can use it as a Bible study, a home group study, a sermon series, or whatever. You can always go and learn more, but this is the essentials. And so at passionlife.org, you can uh, download the four questions and also a two or three page Leader's Guide, if that will be helpful to you. That's awesome. The Passion Life is designed mainly to help the Church, starting with its leaders, find her voice and her footing to provide a compassionate, compelling, uh, honest, truthful response to abortion, to mobilize the Church to stand for life in a life-changing way. John Enzer, thank you so much. It's passionlife.org, and we'll have more details posted at our website at cradlemyheart.org. And stay tuned. We'll have more with John in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening today. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.